This is my favorite time of year. I just read a meme before I came down here that said 90% of adulthood is just saying, I can't believe it's whatever holiday it is until you finally die. And I get it. I feel exactly like that. It's Thanksgiving. What happened to Memorial Day and Labor Day and all the other ones? Um, But I love Thanksgiving because it's like all of the good food and all of the fun family. I mean, for... That's not true for everyone, but it's true for me. Um, and none of the presents, which I really appreciate. I, I have 10 children, so Christmas is expensive. And Thanksgiving is only slightly less expensive to feed them all, but worth it. I just love the gratitude part of it. And even though it's kind of tied up in America to American history, I think this is bigger for us than just Plymouth Rock. I think gratitude is supposed to be wound up inside, embedded in the life of the believer. We are supposed to be people whose language is gratitude. Thanksgiving should be our native tongue, that we begin to understand how good the the work of God and the work of grace is in our lives, and it starts to come out of our lives. Psalm 100 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. It seems to me like it's the gateway in to his presence. And not because he demands it, but because it changes our hearts. It positions our focus on something else. It moves us to another idea. And so we're gonna, we're gonna actually uh, show gratitude through baptism this morning. We're gonna do the rest of worship when the message is over. If you are here and you're over middle school age, Um, If you're high school and above, and you would like to be baptized today spontaneously, uh, we would love to make that available to you at the end of the service, but you need to go meet the beautiful woman, Noelle, in the back by the soundboard, and she will take, I know, thanks, Noelle, shout out, love it. Noelle, by the way, runs all of our experience team, ushers, greeters, pancakes, all the things that Noelle does for us at this church is incredible. And she will also take you to the baptism people. So she's here for you. She's also a good time if you just want to go talk to her during the message. That's fine with me too. She's really funny and fun. Um, So gratitude is such a big part of our lives, should be, and it changes things in us. It changes even the wiring in our brain. I love doing messages where, well, it's hard to do messages on things like gratitude because they can come out sounding kind of like a bumper sticker. Like you just, you know, be, you, you just be thankful for all the things in your life. It's like the poster on your dentist office wall that's meant to distract you from the fact that you're about to go to the dentist. Um, it's like that, but I, it's really, there's theology around gratitude, it matters, but there's also science around gratitude, which also matters. I always, I always love it when science and scripture come together. And so a group of scientists conducted a study of three groups of people. Each were giving distinct writing assignments over 10 weeks time. The first group wrote about something that had happened in their week that was frustrating or hard or difficult. The next group wrote about something in their week that was neutral, neither good nor bad. And the last group wrote about things for which they were grateful that had happened during the week. And at the end of the experiment, 10 weeks later, the group that wrote about gratitude was more optimistic and felt better about their lives. They also exercised more and had fewer visits to doctors. It had made that much of an impact in their very personhood. And then Martin Seligman did a study of about 400 people. They were also given writing assignments, different ones every week. And the week where the writing assignment was, write a letter to someone in your past who did something for you that you've never thanked them for yet. 
And so they wrote those letters and they delivered them to them. And the people in that group had exponentially higher rates, happiness scores. And happiness scores also are an actual scientific thing. Their, their happiness scores went through the roof and it lasted for a month. And so this is powerful, what happens when we're grateful. Another little experiment I read about that I just love is a nurse decided, have you ever been after surgery and the doctor says, rate your pain on a scale of one to 10? This nurse decided to ask his patients, rate your comfort level on a scale of one to 10. And instead of, because rate your pain says, file through all the pain you've experienced and decide where this pain lands on a scale, which already sets you in a negative place. But rate your comfort level says, filter through all the comfort you've experienced in your life and think about the comfort you're experiencing now. And those patients require 20% less medication than the others. I'm telling you, it matters where we set our focus matters to our bodies and our emotions and our makeup. It matters. And <clears throat> it matters also theologically. This is tied to something. The idea of gratitude is all over the Bible. God is constantly telling the children of Israel, remember what I did for you. Rehearse it. Talk about it. Get, get, fix your eyes on what happened before because if there's something in your life you can be grateful for, then there's something in your life you, you probably will be able to be grateful for in the future. And so this is all through the Bible, but one of my favorite places is in 1 Thessalonians. It's written by Pastor Paul. And Paul, you know, maybe you've heard of him. He pastored a couple of churches in Asia Minor, first century, kind of a big deal. Um, but he was beaten up a lot for his faith, and, and, and he was imprisoned, and he eventually lost his head for it. I myself don't love to be taught things by people who don't know what they're doing, by people who haven't experienced it. Uh, I, one thing about me, this isn't important that you know it at all, but I'm, I'm willing to confess it. I am a terrible parker. People will, my family will attest, yes, she is truly a terrible, I don't know what it is. Is that a gene? Is that a skill? I don't know, but I'm bad at it. And one day in Bend, I parked my car and someone came out of a restaurant, a stranger I do not know, to tell me how badly I had parked my car. <laughs> and I'm like, sir, we do not have relational equity. I do not know what your parking skill level is. I don't know that you're qualified to teach me how to park, so you're going to need to zip it. This is how we're gonna do this. I don't wanna be told what to do by people who I don't know if they've experienced it or not. Credibility matters to me when someone wants to tell me what to do or to tell me what God's opinion about something is. And so Paul has earned the right to tell me about gratitude. His life was not easy. In fact, I can't stack anything in my life up to Paul. I can't. And so I want to hear what he has to say about it. He talks about it actually a lot in his letters, but we only have time to look at one. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice at all times. It's just a barn burner of an opener. <laughs> rejoice at all times. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You guys, that's a big line. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you. As a pastor, the most common question I am asked by people is what is the will of God for my life? 
Do I marry the girl or do I not marry the girl? Do I take the job or not take the job? Do I go to China or not go to China? And look at that. With a stroke of the pen, Paul answers the question. The will of God for you is give thanks. That's the will of God for you. In, when? In every circumstance. I don't think he's saying give thanks for every circumstance. I think he's saying give thanks in every circumstance. That means in every circumstance, it is your job. He is entrusting you with the responsibility of finding something for which you can give thanks because it will change your heart. It's not because God makes us. It's not because he's like, come on, you guys, give thanks or I'll be mad at you. It's, it's his will for us as children. Give thanks because it's good for you. It'll make you happier and, and, and more hopeful and maybe more fun at parties. I think a lot of those things. <laughs> Gratitude is meant to be embedded within the language of those who know God. I've been asking myself this week, is gratitude my native tongue or is it not? Is, is negativity and cynicism, bitterness... America's just going crazy and I don't trust anything that's happening. I don't know what's happening. I don't like this party or that party. I don't like this particular person. What is my native tongue? Because as a follower of Jesus, I want to be someone who easily defaults to gratitude. Um, I have a friend whose husband also died of ALS. Her husband was about a year ahead of my husband. And I remember when the first November rolled around for her, she reached out to me and she said, I'm struggling so much with everybody's, you know, gratitude post every day. Thankful for my healthy husband. Thank you for my healthy life. And she said, I'm really trying, Bo. I'm really trying to be grateful. I have great kids and I love my home. I'm trying to be grateful, but I just can't get there. And I said, you are being grateful. You absolutely are being grateful. You just also are heartbroken. They don't have to They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Gratitude does not cancel out grief and sorrow isn't sin. And so we can, when we we assume that giving thanks means I have to approve of everything going on in my life, then that's a mistake and it'll keep us from being willing to give thanks. But when we understand that these are emotions that can dwell together, that God isn't asking us to, to be intellectually dishonest to the sorrow that we feel or the brokenness in our world, he's just saying, yet, still, even then, give thanks. Even in trouble, even when it's hard, still give thanks. It matters. Both science and scripture show us that gratitude is an emotion that can be, out, can, can be cultivated to bring healing and hope and increase measures of happiness to our lives and to our world. Um, You know what? Two things can't dwell together, though. Gratitude and anxiety. That's an actual science thing. You can't think of positive and negative at the same time. Your brain isn't good enough for that. And so we either decide that I'm going to work to move my thoughts toward the positive, or automatically they will be thinking toward the negative. Our thoughts are about 85% repetitive every day. It's things you think yesterday and a week ago Tuesday and last year at this time. About 85% of your thoughts are all automatic, repetitive things. And about 85% of those thoughts are negative. That's just how we're, that's how we're inclined to go. And so building a life of gratitude is a new muscle, but it, it works and it helps and it's beautiful. So this brings me to our Psalm for the week. Um, 
We're still in the Dwell series with Psalms, and I love this Psalm. It's Psalm 65, and I love it particularly because it's all good, start to finish. Because sometimes you get into a Psalm because it's a hard day, and I'm just gonna jump into Psalms because that's easy, and you're like, oh, this is good. Give thanks, oh, my soul, because you're wonderful, and I delight in you. Oh, how my enemies have triumphed over me. I mean, it like turns, and all of a sudden, you're in the midst of the deep sea, and it's like, oh, I didn't mean to be here. David just took me here. So this one is good, from start to finish, and I love it, but we're gonna start in verse seven. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. David talks here about the power of God at work to quiet the raging oceans and silence the shouting of the nations. This is this, is this part of God's nature that brings peace to chaos and order to confusion. It's like at the top of my 2023 list of things I love about him. Because we also are in a world surrounding by raging oceans and shouting nations. I don't know if in my adult life it's felt quite this hot for me before. We have Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and Russia and Armenia and right here in America, shouting nations. There's warring factions and parties, warring opinions. And it, I think there's a lot of sorrow surrounding us. Sorrow over mass shootings and economic upheaval. So many things that, that make noise and clamor around us and can create fear inside of us. But David says, we give thanks in the middle of this. We are people who are well acquainted with raging waters, but the earth is still the Lord's. He still rules over it all. His power still exists over every creature. David says, from where the sun rises to where it sets, you can't get away from it. The love of God pervades over all of it. From where the sun rises to where it sets, it's almost like David is spinning a globe and putting his finger on a mark and says, there's where God is. And then he spins it again and puts his finger on it and says, God's there too. He is the ruler over all of it. And if we start to think this is all up to us, let's just give up now. Let's just be done. Let's go home. <laughs> but God is the ruler over all of it. And as we look at it, we start to root our gratitude in what he is and who he is instead of looking at the negativity all around us. God rules above it all. Here in this part of this psalm, we see God as protector. God as companion in the middle of trouble, not as the one who keeps all trouble away, but God as the protector inside of it and, his, and companion when we face it. So I'd like to just take a moment and I want you to think, Pat, in this past year, in 2023, how has God stepped into storms for you or for the world around that you can see? How has he stepped into storms that you faced or are facing now? David then talks about water in a completely different way. He says, you take care of the earth and water it, making it rich and fertile. The river of God has plenty of water. It provides a bountiful harvest of grain. For you have ordered it so. You drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leaving 
the ridge, and leveling the ridges, you soften the earth with showers and bless its abundant crops. This is a different water now. It's the same water, but in the hands of God, water brings life and healing and softening and soothing. The water David just described in the other verses was tumultuous and chaotic, but here it's just life-giving. David unwinds his thoughts from the, the craziness in his world and sees how God is blessing the earth with water, the water that it needs to survive and to thrive. Here we see God as provider. It was God as protector, and now God as provider for what we need to live life abundantly. So I'd like you to take a moment and think through the last year and ask, where have I seen God provide this year, either in my life or in the world around me? Psalm 6511 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, you crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. For the past five or six years, I've been praying this scripture as my prayer for the last two months of the year, November and December. This is always how I end the year. Um, maybe because my husband's in sales. I always at the end of the year, like, let's just pray. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. I love these lines. I love how, how uh, David sees God putting a seal on the year with his blessing, with his harvest. He crowns the year. He seals it with his goodness. He gives a bountiful harvest. We tend to look at this in terms of the material and physical, but there are lots of ways that we are constantly sowing seed in our lives. We're sowing into relationships. We're sowing into our emotional health. We're sowing into finances. We're sowing into our jobs. We're sowing into our children. We're sowing into our spiritual lives. There are lots of little crops going on in the orchards of our souls. And looking at each of them, we can start to see where God is at work and where we are experiencing a harvest. And harvest, we, we usually don't harvest in every area at the same time. But when we look at where God is moving, where he is showing up, it gives us great reason for gratitude. Maybe you're hearing his voice more clearly in 2023 about an issue than you were last Thanksgiving. Maybe a relationship that you wouldn't have wanted to, you felt was impossible Thanksgiving last year, this year you feel is more possible. Maybe something you've prayed for has started to become a reality in your life, even in some small way. He crowns the year with a bountiful harvest. Some years might not feel bountiful on the surface, but when we begin to gather all the evidence of his goodness into our lives, we can see how he's been at work throughout the year. We have a much clearer pathway to gratitude. This year, uh, one of our kids was laid off at the very beginning of the year, like January 4th, and it was hard and it's been scary and difficult but he got rehired by the same company just recently for a, in a better job, making more money, doing more what he, what he loves and what he was before. And last year at Thanksgiving, my daughter announced that she was pregnant. And this year, Renly Eloise Ray will be sitting at our Thanksgiving table. We see God's harvest in these ways. There are also places where I can't point to harvest yet. 
There are places that still feel like big question marks. There are places where it still feels like I've sown and sown and sown, and I can't even see a single sprout. But I look at the harvest. I look at what I have, not what I don't have. He crowns the year with a bountiful harvest. So take a moment and think about the harvest of this year for you. You probably lost some things in the year. We all did. If you have a 401k, we all did. But that's not our focus. What did you gain this year? That verse also says, even the hard pathways drip with abundance. It's fun because this, some translations say, even your wagon trucks drip with abundance. And this idea of wagon tracks is, you know, the, the wheels go over and over the path, going somewhere to and fro. It's a crowded area. It's a noisy area. It's a well-traveled area. It's something you travel every day and there are hard pathways. And that is never where we choose to plant seeds, yeah? That'd be a terrible place to grow a garden. But here David says, but I see all of your abundance spilling over even into the hard places, even into the places where I didn't plant anything, even into the places I didn't expect anything to come forth or true or real or beautiful in that. I thought that would always represent pain and ugliness and heartache, but I'm seeing something come even spilling over into the hardest places. That's the power of a really big God who cares about you cares about your life, and brings beauty out of sorrow, even the hard pathways. Before has traveled some hard pathways this year. It's been hard. There have been some undeniably painful changes this year. But I see the abundance, the bountiful harvest of God spilling over into this room every Sunday. I see it in B4 Kids. I see his harvest showing up in middle school and high school. I see it showing up in the prime timers lunch. I experience it every Tuesday night here in prayer. I see it happening all around us, the harvest of God. Where we put our attention matters. It matters for how we see the future. It matters for how we see our reason for being here. We see God at work and we see his harvest in the making. Those who sow in tears reap in joy, bringing bundles with them. Even your wagon tracks drip with abundance. So take a moment to think about the hard things from 2023. Where do you see God producing abundance? Where do you see even the smallest sign that God is showing up for you in the hard places? Verse 12 says, the grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. Here David shows us the life that is possible as we see him. Worship team, you can come on back. David shows us the life that is possible as we see him, worship him, and follow him. The wilderness is transformed into a place that feeds many. His language here gets really big. He talks about blossoming and shouting and singing. 
It's like this, this very big preferred life. I mean, I want a life of blossoming and shouting and singing. I would always pick that over crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want that too. But that life that he talks about in verse 13 traveled all the way through chapters 7 and 8, through verse 7 and 8. It traveled through the raging of the oceans. It traveled through the shouting of the nations. It traveled through the hard pathways. And it lands here in this place where David says, I can see the harvest and I know that it is good. I can see the harvest and it is worth rejoicing over. I don't know how much harvest David is rejoicing in. Maybe it's just enough to fill his hands. Maybe it's enough to fill a whole silo. I don't know. But I know that this decision is the right one. And it's hard because we are conditioned to look at what we don't have instead of what we do. We just are. I had the great privilege of, I had a sabbatical a couple of years ago and I went to Italy for it and spent extended time there and got to know people while I was there. And I found that lots of, lots of Italians have spent significant time in America. It's just kind of a thing that seems important to them. And, and everyone I talked to when I said, did you like America? They all said, not really. And, <laughs> okay. And so I dug a little deeper with Daniel and I said, what is it? And he said, Americans are just always so worried about what they're missing out on. Americans always, they can't just drink a cup of coffee without worrying there's a better cup of coffee somewhere else. They can't just go to a restaurant without worrying there's another restaurant to be found somewhere and I'm not there. And he said, I can hear in Italy, I can just sit in a nothing special piazza and have a nothing special cup of coffee and enjoy my life without worrying. I, he said this, I can take a selfie without worrying whether or not it's going to make me famous on the internet. So the Americans are always looking for stuff and they're looking for fame and they can never slow down and enjoy what they have. And when he said it, I was like, shoot, yeah, man, that's about right. And I hadn't thought of it as I'm trying to position my coffee and Bible just right to take my picture for Instagram. Looking at what we have, being full with what God has given us, resting in gratitude because he is good and he's been faithful and he doesn't fail and he's proven it. These things are proven scripturally and scientifically to tether us to the presence of God and to wholeness inside our own life. Why would we ever not want to choose that way? It's so beautiful. So gratitude does not cancel out grief but it does soften and soothe stress and anxiety. It does help move our perspective toward hope. It gives us the strength we need to take the next step. So we're gonna move back into worship and I'd like to move with a heart of gratitude. I know, I know it's, it should be our default, but I just wanna remind you of that. Um, would you stand with me? I read this this week and I liked it. What would it be, would be like, I wondered, to live with that heightened sensitivity to the lives given for ours? To consider the tree and the Kleenex, the algae and the toothpaste, the, the oaks in the floor, the grapes in the vine, to follow back the thread of life in everything and pay it respect. Once you start, it's hard to stop and you begin to feel yourself awash in gifts. So today as we worship, we're gonna 
do some baptisms and this is the process of unwinding and understanding and paying respect to the fact that we exist because Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection, the redemption of Jesus Christ paid the price and made a way for us. This is why we sing. This is why we're here. Today we wind back our thoughts and we reduce everything back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as we baptize, we love to celebrate when people come up out of the water because we feel like in that way, we get to mirror what heaven is doing. I um, always have this moment when I think of my first husband who is in heaven now. And I think the one way that I feel like we can do the same thing at the same time is when I worship. And so I would love to just take this time to worship from a heart of gratitude and to rejoice as people come up out of the water. I know sometimes it's frustrating when you can't see the actual tank. And so if you wanna see the actual tank, come on down and worship around the front, that's great. Um, but it'll also be up on the big screen. So let us do this thing, you guys.